Now listening to the Table Talk podcast with Dan and Tom. Hello, guys. Welcome back to episode six of the Table Talk. We have had a really positive week in the Bristol area with both positive performance from Bristol City and Bristol Rovers. Also, there was a really comfortable win for the Bristol Bears, which we will discuss about as well, because since the Six Nations are happening, Bristol's team is actually really strong currently, the Bears in the league. And we're also going to talk about Pep Guardiola, the man himself. Obviously, they have a great form in the Premier League right now, but is his legacy (laughs) (laughs) depending on depending on getting a Champions League at Manchester City. That was an absolute mare there, wasn't it? Yeah, you've it? absolutely screwed that, but we can just keep going. It's how we roll, yeah. isn't it? We're just casual. Just keep moving forward. Afternoon, Mr. Afternoon. Daniel Carter. Hello. How are you feeling? Man, loving life. What a time to be alive. Success I, all around. For me, I think the best thing about this is... It just seems like both teams were goners at one point. It it was like it was like almost a curse was put on us. I know obviously we got the win against Portsmouth, but then looking I think Saturday, especially the impact of a certain JB that we'll talk about was positive. But we will talk about Bristol of City what against Swansea. Well, Swansea and Middlesbrough in the week as well. Six points. We did. On the road. Yes. Oh, yeah. Obviously, it was disappointing for the Rovers' defeat in the week, but it was made up on Saturday. Definitely. But yeah, two, two, two great performances from Bristol City. Uh, does this put you in suitable contention um, with the, it puts- the great? Messiah, as uh, a fellow City fan told me, the Messiah in a certain Nigel Pearson. Well, I have one thing to say to that man at the moment, and it has to be cheers, Nigel. Like, what, what a man. <laughs> he's, he's coming. Um, do you think it's the right appointment now? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think, I don't know how long it's going to last. You get the feeling like it could all end quite quickly if things turn bad, but I don't think it will. Do you know, if we're talking about Joey Barton as well and Nigel Pearson, I feel like the only way these sort of managers will move on is to other clubs. I don't know why I have this feeling. I think the only question mark I have with both is that both have had, uh, how do we put this politely, altercations with owners or players or stuff around the club. I hope, I don't think it will end that way. I'm not sure. In a COVID world, people would even find out if it ended that way um, but I certainly at the moment I think if Nigel keeps this positivity to the end of the season I'm not saying three points every week but if he keeps winning games I don't see how his contract isn't extended into next year Yes yeah, so if we're talking about obviously Tuesday performance was really positive uh, Nigel Pearson was in the stands for that just take me through that game, what was? Well, we was went. It, up, was it was it a bit of a shock? Yeah, it was the manner in which we played. He, the team hadn't changed much. 
there was a few people who had been doing well at the start of the season back in, but not and not a massive change. Um, by the sounds of it, he only met the players and had a little word with them. He wasn't involved particularly in team selection or anything. But um, it reminded me of last season. We went to the Riverside, actually. I think it might have even been the game after Lee Johnson was sacked and Holden was in charge. And it was 3-1, three goals in the first half on the counter-attack. I think it was mainly Andy Voiman and Jamie Patterson that day that kind of tore them apart. They didn't really know what happened to them. And it was so similar to that. It was players getting their head up, looking to pass the ball forwards, reluctant to pass it sideways. I think Jeju and Wells were just... They were linked. Dynamite. It was like... Well, it was like that. It was like they were telepathically linked and we've not seen that this... Well, since Wells signed, I think him and Chris Martin have had a bit of a connection when they've played up there. But Jeju and Wells, we've not seen that yet. And we did on Tuesday. It's It's looking like you're going to stay in a relatively good position regardless of how the season pans out. But Jeju, for example, is that a vital component for a new contract now? Um, you're never going to find out, are you, in football, what, the, what they want is the thing. And Mark Ashton has come out and said that they have offered him the biggest contract this club has ever offered. Or what I think his comment was one of, but people are reporting this is the biggest and nicest contract that's been offered. And if he's not accepting that in a COVID world, maybe you need to think, right, we look elsewhere, we move on. But to me, he's such a crucial member of getting that team playing in a certain way. And I think his performances, everyone will talk about the performance at Barrow where he's got two goals, but uh, Saturday for me, there was when we went two one up. There was this period where I think four goal kicks in a row. He's just won the flick on, and when you're two one, two one up away from home, it's something we got quite used to under Lee Johnson. When you were scraping a win, was he could just keep that ball away from your goal, and there was moments like that on um on Saturday. So I think if you if you can tie him down, for me it's a no brainer if he's willing to sign a contract. If not, maybe I understand in this. In this state that football's in at the moment, you might need to just cut ties. Yeah, it's 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 one of those honest situations that I think most clubs are having, even in the top leagues, about the the restrictions of COVID. But hopefully, it's looking like we'll be out. I think the only thing that bugged me, I think, for both clubs, I I would have loved to have been there on Saturday. Yeah. It's, it's, it's getting to that stage now where you would have loved, I think you would have loved to have been there as, as a city contingent against, I, that would have been massive for the fans, I think. Well, I'm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it a derby for us, but you've always got the England-Wales thing. We are vaguely close. And that you can imagine what the atmosphere is going to be like. The slightly... Uh, had to put it. I think it was a penalty looking back at it, but it was a dubious penalty with a slight handball from Palmer. And I think that their fans would have loved that because it's the bloke that was on loan there giving them a penalty, Agent Palmer and all that. Um, but I think stuff like when that corner goes swinging in, like you can imagine what that first, first game under a new manager and if that had happened against his old club, I think that away end would have been absolutely delirious. <laughs> 
Let let me ask you about the performance because I I watched Nigel Pearson's post match interview, and he 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 blatantly discussed that possession wise Swansea were the obviously superior team uh, to Bristol City, but he said the second half was something just clicked, something well, just came out of them. Well, I and think- would would you feel the same? Yeah, I think you look at it. I think they've the stat was they've not lost at home since October in the league. This is a team that there's a very good chance is going to get automatic promotion this year. They're an incredible side. I think anyone who thinks we should be going there and dominating the ball and creating chance after chance. It wasn't going to happen, was it? It was never going to happen. And I think there's this reputation with City, oh, we don't play good football, stuff like this. Pearson doesn't play good football. So people want to throw that at us. And I think you're. You are an ostrich if um if you think that's how we're gonna go play. And um but I think the way we went out there, we just went out defensively summed first half with a couple of shakes. I mean Dan Bentley, I don't think I can give the keeper enough credit because I, I was I was gonna move on to Dan Bentley as well yeah, because we'll we'll come on to him. But um yeah. I think we created we scored chances out of nothing, which I think you can honestly say, as a City fan, we've not done enough this year. We've not created enough chances full stop, but the fact Wells's goal comes from Viner just running at a defender and putting him under pressure and that desire to win the ball, you score. And then Palmer, it's a moment of magic, let's be honest. Like Whether he's meant it or not, it's that sort of bit of luck that you need. And then Semenya, the last one, again, is down to hard work and pushing that keeper in the 95th minute or something. Like that's what it's. You don't. We've worked hard. They've worked hard for those three points, and I don't think anyone can say it's not deserved. I think that's that sort of uh, performance that you you really love. It's 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 not like a a basic performance, but for me, I always like a sort of Brexit sort of no nonsense football, and I think that's just the similarities in football in general. It's it's being clinical in the right moments. I I I can hold my hands up, and in my personal experience, like playing and coaching as well, it's those decisive moments where you've got one chance and it goes in. And for me, I just think I always knew, like speaking about the the contenders for it. I thought, yeah, Nigel Pearson was controversial, but there's such like for me every time you watch him he's very intelligent but he's always got an aura about him I've listened to everything the club have put out about like with him involved because he, like I said he's someone I've had that we've spoken to with university before and you can tell just how he loves he's not football obsessed he's not like one of these Lee Johnson characters that everything about his life is football but he just understands and like I think the way his brain works he just has this appreciation for football, and I think it comes through so much in his interviews. When he's just, you feel like you you're like in a trance listening to every word he says. Like he genuinely captivates you. And See, fact- I thought I thought that was going to be something with Tisdale, but looking back on Tisdale, it, it just seems completely different in the approaches. And it's yeah. the only thing you can say is quite often when you're in that moment, you think like this is. 
I'm, I, I'd listen to Holden's stuff and I'd be like, yeah, I back everything this man says. And then you actually compare it to some of the stuff Pearson says and you're like, there might be levels here. That might be harsh, but there's... Pearson did a six-minute post-match interview and I know it's his first game, so it's going to be longer. But to have that up on the club Twitter and I sat through six minutes and it went by like a flash because he's he's so honest. He was like, like you said, he was open about the fact Swansea had more of the ball. Swansea could have been like 4-0 up at halftime. If it wasn't for well, them, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's that's what he implied, and it's it's just, it's just brutal honesty. Yeah, and it's refreshing there. because I said I really like Lee Johnson, but there was always the joke that he spoke in his like little cliches. He loved the catch twenty two and stuff like this, and I think that that's that's actually as a fan that's quite fun. You you do buy into that when you hear that over and over. But well, the thing is, the thing is with compared to your previous managers is. Nigel Pearson has coached in the Premier League. He is someone who players really can't question. And he did have a really good professional career as well. But any any of the listeners still listening, there's, an, there's a really good podcast actually by Casper Smichael on the, that Peter Crouch podcast. And if you check it out, Casper uh, Smichael speaks about <laughs> Nigel Pearson. And like like you said, He's not football obsessed. There's a lot of layers to him. I think he has a lot of intelligence for other things, including sort of even stuff like music. He's very sort of focused on different things, which does that make him a good manager because he can detach himself from the game? Well, I think this is part of the thing. I think he's such a... um, The other thing that's so important to him is his actual just management whether you call it man management or just management in general, he's just so, um, like there was Riley Towler. We spoke about him the other week with after the Watford uh, embarrassment. I think it's the only nice way to put it. And, um, he was on a yellow on Saturday and you could argue probably should have seen red for a tackle. He was quite late on and, uh, the ref didn't give him the red, but their bench was going after him. And there was only something like 30 seconds still half time. But Pearson got Stephen Sessegnon ready immediately and got Towler off. And Holden used the phrase the other week that you wanted to protect him when it was 4-0 down. And I'm not saying that wasn't protecting him against that second half of Watford. But there was something about that. Just, okay, he's got booked. He's in trouble. They're going to target him. Get him off immediately. And I think, and he's got, and as soon as that happens, you've got, I mean, firstly, Thomas Callas went over arm round him. And I thought that was really good to see because we've said before whether Callas is more of a leader by example than a, in, by speech. So it was really interesting to see him go over and actually just have a chat with him. Uh, uh, actions before words, really, isn't it? That's yeah. What leadership's all about. Well, to see him go around, put his arm around him and just be like, look, explain why he's being subbed to him. Because let's be honest, an 18-year-old, he's probably not even, he's probably never been in that situation before where he's been on a yellow that early on. And he, he knows he's going to, Swansea have got some dangerous and frightening wingers as well. Like, n- not necessarily wingers, but Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe would have just kept running at him. And I don't know, it's just that management style that would Holden have, would Holden have been brave enough to do that? I, I think he probably would have. But The thing like I spoke about with the other managers, uh, I think they would have been great managers if they were given time. Yeah. I, 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 I totally stand by it 
Uh, the likes of Ben Garn, I still think is going to be a league manager just because he's got so much quality uh, in his coaching style. Uh, but maybe he needs to go out and just focus a bit more. Tisdale, for me, I think League One was just too high for him. I think he's a great League Two manager at best. But if if we're looking at that, Holden, for example, I, I think, think Holden. I think he'll go be a very good manager somewhere. Yeah, I think to be told your first job as a football manager is a team that haven't ever actually it's got the playoffs. Well, this you're asking him to manage a team that have never actually got the championship playoffs on, with this side. You're asking in your first job to get them the playoffs. I don't know how you can. It's a very difficult job to go and do the first time. Yes. Uh, just to finish off, then uh, Dan Bentley obviously spoke about why is he so good and is he uh, the most informed goalkeeper in your opinion in the championship? Right. I think the thing with Bentley is it's almost a bit of a shot factor. Because there was a just, I think it was around, yeah, just before Johnson was sacked, there was, I think first game back was against Blackburn at Ewood Park, and it was poor from him. I don't know if that's, you've had, they had like two, three months off, maybe his focus just wasn't there. But he dropped a couple of clangers and was dropped for my amper. And there was a genuine bit there where I was like, okay, is this guy, has he got the concentration to be this top level keeper that his ability shows he has? And then this season, I don't. He's been like a man possessed. Like some of the saves we're seeing, I think there was one, there was one of those about a three, four minute period against Swansea where he just ball should have been in the back of the net three, four times, and he just wasn't letting it happen. And we always talk about Bristol City about having sellable assets. We've seen it with Webster, Brownhill, Brian Reed, so many players that are now in the Premier League. For me, he is the key and probably only sellable asset in that club at the moment goalkeepers always tricky moving up through the leagues I always think a great goalkeeper is the core of the team yeah and our, our success as a team uh, even getting out of the the conference even to League One has been the likes of uh, definitely Steve Mildenor that period is huge it's, it's, it's one of the most important positions as you've seen with like the likes of Allison and Edison at the top top level and De Gea years before that. I think you're at a point now where that City defence, whoever it is, whether you want them to be feet I mean Callis would put his body on the line of anything anyway. But they're at this they've almost got this mindset of, oh well, if the ball beats me, you've got you've got to beat him in the net. And I think even if they don't, they're never going to come out and say that. But that's got to give you some confidence. That you're like, okay, if you put, if you tried to put it in the top corner, he's going to just claw it away. And I mean, will he move on in the summer? It's difficult to say with keepers, like I said. But there was just, there's He's always seven. talk. Well, there's always talk about like Nick Pope, isn't there, going to Spurs or somewhere like that? And I wonder if if some. I mean, he would, he'd be perfect for Burnley, wouldn't he? Yeah, I do wonder if Pope. If Pope moved on, someone like Burnley, are they going to look at? They're probably more likely to look down than a lot of teams because I think a lot of teams would just they, they'd rather it's, they don't like buying from the Championship with keepers. I'm not really yeah. sure why. Mm. But yeah, uh, moving on, who have you got Tuesday and Saturday? We have, we have Bournemouth on Wednesday at Ashton. Oh, Wednesday. A Wednesday oh, night. Oh, fruity. 
No Jack Wilshire for them after his uh, little mm, little incident scuffle the other day. Whatever that <laughs> I, that was ridiculous. And then yeah. on Saturday we've got QPR at Ashton Gate. Two little tasty games then. I think one teams are QPR right around us there, and Bournemouth are in the playoffs. So if you can, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like it's only two games with one. But if you're talking twelve points from Bournemouth, Middlesbrough. Uh, QPR and Swansea that would be incredible I think even if you're talking 9 points 10 points even 8 points after the run we were on maybe you're thinking that's a that's not a bad set of results there but Indeed. I think that's, it is that's, a, that's enough of the City chat I think we should talk about the other side of Bristol a big big result for you guys on Saturday oh for me it just epitomised like horrific. It's been a horrific sort of two, two years. Uh, but for me, I mean, I didn't watch it. I wasn't fortunate enough to watch this one. But when I watched the highlights and everything, I definitely think Joey Barton was the right person for this job. Because I just think... The way we played, obviously, I only saw brief highlights, but looking on Twitter and uh, following some like really good Rover supporters as well, all the all the live updates were we were so defensively sound. The first, in my opinion, the first seventy-five minutes of the whole game, our first goal was. I, I mean, we shouldn't be scoring goals like that. It it was it was a move of seven passes, and it was lovely finished by Luke Leahy. A really young squad we put out as well. A really young team. It was a likes of. It was interesting to see, uh, like a three four two one, uh, with the likes of Harry's Kilgore and Williams. Great, great sort of back three. Uh, Rodman and Leahy right and left. I think it's important to have like the likes of Alex Rodman back in because I think Barton knows he has experience. Um, Luke Leahy, for me, is already player of the season. Uh, he should be made captain maybe after Kilgore. Um, if I'm just talking about the whole team because I think it's just, it was just so sort of positive. Um, McCormack, Luke, if we don't sign him in the, in the summer... It's it's always one of the things, but Chelsea obviously have a lot of young players, but getting dotted on that contract, uh, likes of Josh Grant, positive as well, and yeah, Brandon Hanlon after Joey Barton spoke on Tuesday, um, did get his goal, so yeah, comfortable two one win, and yeah, obviously talking about Tuesday, which was really gut wrenching. Uh, because especially the when you can tell the difference between a manager who knows his stuff and the way he sort of understood it because he made the risk to make signs uh, of like substitutions in the second half but it wasn't to be in the 95th minute there was a goal but yeah like like you said it's it's looking uh, very positive, but it is still one game at a time. Yeah, but let's be uh, real. That Shrewsbury team have been 
I mean, surprising. I think it's the only way to... Revived, I think, is probably the best word since the appointment of Koch, Steve Kotcher. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's not uh, with the side at the moment in person. Uh, with the yeah, sad best wishes for him. Yeah, sad news that he's been readmitted to hospital as he's suffering from pneumonia after having COVID-19. Mm. Um, it's obviously a legend, the red side of Bristol. But um, even when he's been absent, I think Aaron Wilbraham and the coaches around him, they've got him. They've done a great with, job. Yeah. I think to be going really through what job. they have and to be um, performing to the level they have has been incredible. And I, th- I think for me, that was why the result was so good for us. Exactly. Because they are the most informed team, bar one, in the league. And yeah, I think just just the way we played, the purpose, like the passion, like and obviously... Um, Joey Barton's interview after just it, it's nice to see like he's all about the players I, I don't know what it is I wouldn't have thought Joey Barton was so passionate and man management about this but well it's, it's, it's little things like I saw on Twitter he's got all his kids decked out in all like Rovers kits and like it, it, it means nothing does it let's be real that, that means absolutely nothing to how he manages the club but if there's one thing from the outside looking in that you're really getting is that how much he cares about, he wants to do a good job at Rovers. And I think that's such a, when you're a controversial character like he is, because like we said the other week, there's fans who were not happy with that appointment. If you're, if you're showing that, yeah, I want to be a guy. I this is what I'm about. This is what I want to be. That does so much of the job for you because fans are just going to buy into it. And, like you say, the passion, like the scenes on the touchline at the end, little things like that. Well, you wouldn't, like fans were saying, uh, Garner and Tisdale, were they too serious about like being involved with the players and stuff like that? But looking at Barton, like the mount. Well, he's like, thir- how old is he? Like 38? 30, yeah, is he 40 38. 38. No, so not. Look, he's 38. He's only very... reti- retired three, four years ago. Like, yeah, it's incredible. Whether he means it or not, players are going to... I think you almost saw it with Johnson and it went the other way that some players see Johnson. I think he was only something like 36 when he got the job. And players are going to... I think Lee Tomlin was one name that was thrown about that didn't respect him at all. And part of that's probably because of the fact he's playing under someone who's nearly as old as him. Like, it, it cannot work. But I think it's probably going to give you a different sort of attitude and the players a different sort of attitude to working with you because it's almost like working with a senior player as well as a coach. Like you, Especially when he's played at the level he has, but he's played for some huge clubs. He's going to demand that respect. Well, he's, the, the irony is, is Joey Barton has been coached under Nigel Pearson. Yeah, they get on really well, don't they? They get yeah. on. I think, I think that's the thing. I, they're not too dissimilar in character, I think. They both have that bit of fire. They are. They are very contra. I like. You can't. I think Nigel <laughs> would Nigel Pearson get his hands on someone. I don't know. He he, he may. I know, I know. Obviously, Joey Barton's not been an angel, but but this is this is the thing. I think both men. Right. You can say this. I don't, we don't want to delve too far into like the controversial side. Yeah. But you get some people who have that controversy, and that's all they're. T- that's the only brush they're like tired with. Whereas both of these two blokes like. They speak and you can buy into them. Um, as people, they don't come across like I'm not going to swear again as this PG podcast is, but they they come a, they don't come across like absolute idiots, do they? 
they're just nah. they're they're both like nice people they obviously care and i think there's that blend that you do need to find you need to, to be a good manager you've got to have that sharpness and that ability to like you've got to be intimidating i i always know from my experience like you need people on your side if you're going to lose a dressing room like it's clearly been done you're you're going to lose the whole club um for me right i i've never really like you obviously know joey barton from playing but i ne- never really kept tabs of that fleetwood side but now like it's just it's it's really refreshing regardless of what uh, obviously we are still in, in and around the bottom but when we played that game against shrewsbury like come on like we've we've got enough quality here well, I think and, that's that's something that resonates with both teams as well, isn't it? It's that thing of like, you're, it's almost frustrating to watch because you're sat there thinking, so where has this been for the last? Is it down to the coach and is it just down to the players not trying hard? Yeah. Like, they, they need that sort of like rocket to get them going. And um, I think the big thing that I got from the Rovers impression was, was it Wigan you played in the week? Am I right? Did yeah. And that was and it was a disappointing yeah. way to lose, wasn't it? Late on, and. That I do keep a tab of like what fans are saying, just mainly for this podcast. And I think it was really interesting to see you've just lost in the 95th minute. And yeah, there's frustration, but nearly everyone in those comments are just going, right, we give him time. And that must rub off on the players. You think, I don't know if they look at it, but you'd think it has to rub off because they're not getting down by it. And you almost, as a fan, you can write off that game against. Wigan because of the fact you just picked up points in Shrewsbury yeah you want to beat Wigan as they're around you but you've beaten a team that you probably shouldn't beat so it doesn't matter the the thing with Wigan as well is it, it, it was like the same thing again it was it was being clinical and being efficient and Wigan took their chances when they needed to but for me like the the, the rest of that 25 minutes I had a gut feeling we were going to concede but our, our goal was like positive as well. But the reason why it was different to Saturday is because, you know what, Joey Barton could have come out and said, oh, like, it was a disappointing result. There was nothing like that. Nothing. He was, he was positive. He said, these things happen. We're just going to work hard and work in training. And you're you sort of in it. Like you said, you, for us in the current moment we are going they are going to war mm. every single game we're going to have but i know for a fact i feel comfortable cuz i've i've seen the fixtures that we have cuz but burton tomorrow i think for for us is a huge game if if we're lucky to get a result there bar it a draw or win i think that's that's going to be huge because i know we have hull on saturday but then Interesting, I was speaking to a Sunderland fan that I know, and then you know him as well. And he knows for a fact, like, when Fleetwood played Sunderland last year, he was like, the Barton just gave us a torrid time with that Fleetwood side. Well, you could, you and, saw, you showed me that clip the other day. Like, let's be honest, he's gonna, he's, he's not gonna want to lose to Sunderland because of his time with Newcastle. He, he genuinely despises him, doesn't he? And, I think this is the thing that you said um, just then. You got to a point now when you're in a relegation fight, which I think you're coming the other side of, but you are still you're still in, but you're probably on the outside of being in it. 
you probably beating Burton becomes a bigger necessity for you and probably a bigger challenge than beating Hull. Because if you beat Hull, yeah, you've got three points, brilliant. But if you go and beat Burton, take it is it does become that six pointer. So I think your fans are gonna be they'd be quite happy to get thumped by Hull if you go beat Burton and every team around you in the second half of the season. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. Um but yeah, like I said, it's sort of every every little little changes that we're having, even like the stat wise, we're taking more shots. I'm really pleased for uh, Brandon Hanlon as well because I feel he was a character that for for a manager to have a lot of belief in a player, it, it's really positive. And I know you you just gotta give them that ownership, take that responsibility, and give them the tools they need, which I'm sure a Premier League player can give them. And it is really a simple game. Football is a simple game, but it's all about how can they manage. I think what was press impressive, like you you can see as well, is the fact that it's, it's a, League One is very strenuous. It's the most games played bar you've got some cup competitions as well. So you're looking at, if you do well, maybe potentially 50 to 55 games. That's going to take a toll. The fact that a manager can only have, say, like I said, you play on Saturday, you're probably going to recover on Sunday. Proper session on Monday and then you've got a game Tuesday. Recover on Wednesday and then you've got two training sessions. The fact that two training sessions and you're already getting a win against Shrewsbury is, I know it's you. It's so positive to speak about it, but it just felt like a team under Daryl Clark. It just the point you've made there is perfect, though, isn't it? That it's he's had two sessions. Pearson, I, I'm not even sure if he had two. I think it might have even been one or two before that game on Saturday, and I think it shows how both sides. It was as much a mental hurdle to jump as an actual tactical or technical hurdle. And they probably just needed that bit of inspiration to get their head straight and get playing again. Both managers know that, I know Joey Barton spoke about it, it's not just the first 11, it's the whole club. And I think that's where, compared to the other two, that's where he's getting every single player he wants them to feel, make them feel special. I think his man management, even from the outside looking in, is spot on. And it's not just Joey Barton as well. It's the likes of Clint Hill, which I, in my opinion, he's a great number two. And you're already saying, oh, you've got Joey Barton. But you've also got an experienced defender within the likes of Clint Hill. I, like, like I said to you, both clubs... I've appointed managers that really reflect where the clubs want to go yeah. rather than point in this long term in professional football does not work. In my opinion, it's a week by week result based sport, especially at the top level. Long term is great for if you like a team, for example, but that's why where an academy comes into it. 
that's where the under 23s, that's where they're molded and then they can go on to playing in a professional setup. I think you, you mentioned that's probably, an interesting, that's probably an interesting debate to you. Yeah. To have, but I think you, you mentioned long term there and that kind of leads on quite well to the other thing we were gonna mainly talk about today, which is Pep Guardiola and Man City's recent form. Yeah. And I think if if we're honest, if I asked you now, straight like yes or no, I don't want any explanation. Has Pep Guardiola been a complete success at Man City? What would you say? Yes. Right. I I, I question whether it is yes. I think there's no doubt in my mind. I'm going to explain now and just not give you that sort of satisfaction. He was. Born, I know. I know where you're going to. Sort you know. Of you know what? I think everyone knows what they're going to say. But Mancini yeah. won a Premier League. Uh, Pellegrini won a Premier League. They brought him in to win a Champions League, haven't they? That's that is Man City's goal, and they've not done that yet. Um, I can see him doing it this year. I think the competition's probably uh, as weak as. Well, yeah. I think you've got two, you've got two teams that scare everyone the most. You've got that aren't Man City. You've got Munich, who are obviously just less, they're incredible. And they're going to be difficult to beat no matter who plays them. And you've got PSG who, if they go on that run like they did last year, they're going to be dangerous. But both Spanish clubs are really struggling. This is, this is what I want to ask you because it, it has been spoke about a lot on social media in regards to Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola is obviously probably one of the best managers ever in the sport. But... Do you think that the legacy of Pep Guardiola at Manchester City does it depend on the Champions League trophy? I don't think the legacy necessarily does because he's the man who got the Centurion season. He's going to be the man that dethroned the best Liverpool team. The Liverpool that Liverpool team was dubbed one of the best of all time, mm. and he's going to dethrone them. Um. I think no matter what, he's probably going to go down as one of, if not the best managers in that in the club's history, especially in the modern era. He's miles and miles ahead of the likes of Mancini and Pellegrini. Um, but I think he said himself after his time at Munich, I'm pretty, well, I might be wrong, but I remember hearing him say something along the lines of my time at Munich is considered a failure because I didn't win a Champions League. And I think while we're not as... Man City are not as dominant in England as Bayern Munich are in Germany, I'd say. There's better competition. But I think you can get to a similar point where you probably go, he was appointed. They do, they were already winning Premier Leagues. He was appointed to take them to that next step, which was the Champions League. And he needs to do that this season to be considered a complete success, I think. Do, do you think... I think City have the perfect depth now to win the Champions League. I'm, uh, you're so right. I think that there is such a strong chance of... Um, I was going to say Bristol City then. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, Manchester City um, of winning the Champions League. Because even like looking at the... like oh, The likes of Cancelo. Just such a player. Well, I think this is... It, this is the thing, isn't it? I think the only thing I'd say you said about depth there, and I think 
it's probably another argument to have a whole podcast about really is I in my opinion depth wins you Premier Leagues depth will help I think if I mean Liverpool last year let's be honest that was just a team player at it's absolute peak I'm not sure we're ever going to see that Liverpool team peak to that level again and they were lucky Definitely with injuries but yeah. this season they've had the injuries and they've struggled um, I think if Man City had the same amount of injuries in the same areas, they'd probably be struggling as well, but not to the degree we're seeing Liverpool struggle because of the depth they have. But you can win a Champions League with a good 18-man squad. Liver- I, I do not think it's probably out of the reach of Liverpool fans to think they could still win a Champions League this year because of the fact it's a game every other week at most. They've got the depth. They probably... They've got one arm. Well, top yeah, four. you have the the likes of uh, Virgil Van Dyke coming potentially back for that Jota as well. Yeah, that latter think, season. So even someone like Quebec, the game's played at that slightly slower play, pace. It's probably less to and throw because there's that pressure of if you lose, you're done for. I think Man City's issue is they're very over a forty game season or whatever we thirty eight. Are they? Are they too... Because you're looking at the Premier League now. The Premier League isn't secure yet for Manchester City. But if it gets more interesting than the Champions League for Guardiola, do you think he'll spend less time on the Premier League? Because you know that the reason why I, I think this is probably... I'm going to be controversial here. And I think this Manchester City team this season was better than the 100-point one. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I know that's such a bold thing to say, but how you went in, it's, it's just the likes of Mares, and it's all these little players are sort of... If, if De Bruyne and Aguero aren't there, they're stepping up. I think the, the weirdest thing with Man City, though, is if, you, if I asked you to name their best team, or ask myself to name their best team. It's it's so hard to do because of that immense depth. And I think if Klopp has a Champions League semi final against, let's say, let's say they draw uh, Real Madrid at some point in the competition, he will know if he has all his players available, exactly the team he wants to play. The only question marks you'll have is with injuries, is who's going to make up the back two pairing and who's going to make up the mid. If they're fully fit, the midfield's the only question, isn't it? This is an interesting question. Do you think Klopp with that team, Manchester City team, over the years would have won a Champions League? I think it's weird because I don't, I, I, I'm not, I didn't follow his time at Dortmund massively, but while he's been Liverpool manager, he's never exactly had the depth to choose from. And I do wonder if it'd be, a, I doubt it because he's a very good manager, but would it be a bit of rabbits in the headlights if he had that many players to choose from? Would he get tinker too much? I don't know. But I think, I think ideally, for to win a Champions League, you want like 20, 22 players at tops that you know you're also going to make up your bench, you know it's going to be your starting eleven, And if you get injuries, you'll have the depth to recover. And I wonder if that Pep team's not necessarily a tournament-style team. I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure there's probably Man City fans who completely disagree with that. But I think you saw it. Um, they won the leg, actually, but uh, against Real Madrid last season when he had Jesus playing in this sort of like inverted wing-back role. And 
it was, I mean, I, I, you had pundits basically spending 20 minutes trying to work out what formation it was. So just to quickly speak around that, so the recent, we're obviously talking about their Champions League history from when Pup was appointed. So first season was Monaco, round of 16. But like we said before we started, that's the that was an incredible Monaco side. There's no shame in losing to that side, really. Second season was obviously that Liverpool side as well, uh, which when they really sort of took on. Uh, they just made the quarterfinals. Um, third season was obviously that t- controversial Tottenham game uh, yes. with VAR. Um, and, well, disappointingly, I'm sure City fans will feel the same. Last season, Leon in the quarterfinals. Well, I think you look at it, and the Tottenham one was unlucky. And when you look at it, really, you've lost to a team that got to the final. Fair enough. The Monaco one, you lost to a team that were very, very good. But Man City were also very, very good. So, a bit iffy. The Liverpool one, you lost to a team that got to the final again. So, and the next year won the tournament. So, not as iffy. I think the two that stand out are the well, the Leon one's the one that stands out because that Leon team should not have turned them over. And if I remember correctly, there was some slightly controversial. There was, I think, Moussa Dembele scored a slightly controversial goal in that game where there might have been a foul and offside, and Sterling missed an absolute sitter from about two yards out. I think. So I do think it's just these little margins where. This is their this is their best chance to win it because in my opinion you could the Premier League's basically wrapped up for them. Because we've seen United yesterday were toothless against Chelsea. There was nothing no neither team looked particularly good. Those two aren't gonna catch them. Leicester are having a wobble because of major injuries and Liverpool are chasing top four, not a title. Man City have one hand on this probably one hand and a couple of fingers on this Premier League title. The only thing I get worried about Manchester City though is the FA Cup run which could halt it and this is why I this is why I think Guardiola's if Guardiola if you said to me right Pep I want you to just concentrate on getting a Champions League trophy he would have won one by now but I think I think that just he is he's he's phenomenal. I mean, you did question him after that two 0 loss against Tottenham and think is is Pep Guardiola sort of semi that was like is he semi done and then maybe he used that as a sort of motivation to then evolve and I think City now have are playing the best they've ever played because it just seems a lot more sort of at like forward thinking that if you notice as well this is just from like my analytical brain of how I see football from my experience when a player is on the ball a city player you have about two or three options and the reason why is because there was a, a video surrounding Guardiola and Guardiola focuses on the distances of a player between the ball and I know it's a very simple thing to do but it makes a massive difference it's, it's just that little things and for me the best 
I've seen City was a couple of weeks ago. That Arsenal first ten minutes was stunning. The Riyad Mahrez is so worth that sixty million. I've seen a few criticisms of him. I think it's probably earlier this season, maybe late last season, that a few Man City fans think he slows the game down a fair bit. And I think when he's at his best, everything's happening so quickly. And he, um, for the goal on Saturday, actually the John Stings goal, he made a really proactive run and cut it back to him. And on Stones, there's something I was going to comment on as well. It's the fact every year this Pep Guardiola team comes back, it feels like there's someone else that like, not necessarily bought that season, but um, someone else comes in and becomes like the man that's taking your breath away. Because obviously Aguero was there and there was all this chat, oh, is Aguero going to be a striker for a Guardiola system? And then he scores goals because it's Aguero, of course he does. And then it was De Bruyne suddenly becoming like, I mean, I, I don't Perlo, probably better, than, like more of a Xavi style player, just carrying that team when it's down. And then Sterling's goal scoring output came up, and everyone was like, "See, he's made Sterling a goal scorer." And then this season, it's been like, I don't, I thought John Stones was gonna leave in the summer. I didn't think he'd stay there. And you look at it; he's keeping the thing with, out of the team. The thing with John Stones, if if you're talking about like the mental health aspect of football. He was a person who really analysed his own performance and he know, he openly admitted he wasn't playing well. But his determination to work hard and the way he was resilient enough to get back is the reason you're seeing a John Stones... Well, he was like a, a good player. But for me, him and Diaz... but. That's why City is so exciting now. Their back four is incredible, with the likes of Laporte as well. Oh, the fact you've well, got Laporte yeah. not playing, like we when he when he was signed, I think you've seen a couple of comments this week about Diaz has had the same effect on Man City that Van Dijk had, and I think you've almost got to take it back and be like, the ridiculous thing is, two years ago when they signed him in January, we were saying exactly the same thing about Laporte, and now he's being kept out the side, and. You That's a sign of a good team, though, isn't it? It is, and it's also the sign of the absurd spending power they have, which Pep's been open and honest about. And let's be honest, he's had injury. Well, he's had injuries in a shaky backline, and they go by Ruben Diaz. They've already got Laporte. They've already got Stones. They've got Mendy, Cancelo, Walker. You could go on Zinchenko, list him for days. Where, when something's shaky, he's backed. He goes and buys players. I think. That's the main difference between him and what Klopp's doing at Liverpool is that Klopp's backline's absolutely torn apart, and he buys a lad from Preston and loans in a lad who's bottom of the table with Schalke. I'm not saying they're bad players, but there's there's obvious levels. And to be fair to Pep, I don't think you can ever have a go at him because he literally came out in his press conference after um, was it in the week, and he was just like, "Yeah, we've spent we've got a lot of very expensive players." He he knows the he knows the situation he's in, and I've actually got more respect for him being open about that. But the whole he... argument surrounding Pep Guardiola, people say he's a spender manager. All of this, people forget that uh, Pep Guardiola started his coaching at Barcelona B. Well, this is the thing that's and that shows in his management the fact. Yeah, he spends a lot of money, but it's quite hard. Other than well, Angelino, other than like Angelino that. 
came out the other week and said something yeah about not particularly liking it he spends a lot of money but develops those there's very few players that have got worse under Guardiola's time and like Stone that, that's, was expensive that, but that's he's got so much better about um, Lampard for example well I think this is Lampard I think is such a hard one to judge because mm. he, he he's bought Havertz Havertz has Covid has moved over here with his girlfriend and no one else isn't allowed to visit his family and has barely played and everyone's going oh he's flopped he's flopped the manager that bought him and wanted him didn't actually ever get a chance to particularly grow him yeah say, Werner definitely again, yeah like, I think it's so hard to like, you, if there's one thing you saw about Pep he bought Stones was it four or five years ago now I saw on Sky and after four or five years, you're now watching and thinking this guy's a good centre half. It's like it's, it is it is just the longevity of what football is. But yeah, but then that was the whole debate, wasn't it? Like I was just trying to establish was is that what not threw Lampard off, but is that something he needs to sort of realise and establish once he. Uh, gets back into management again because I believe Frank Lampard is going to be a top coach still. I think people are writing him off. I think his playing style was um, great. It just showed he actually was a great coach because that season when they couldn't spend money, he was actually one of the best coaches to have and as well got a top four finish, which with the likes of English good talent, it, it really gave the national system a good thing rather than a, a club side, which I think benefited. But you, you say about the Champions League, I'm very interested in how the Chelsea team goes now. Oh, well, you get an away goal at Atletico is huge, isn't it? I think the only question what you've got to have is we said similar things about Liverpool last year and Let's be honest, that was an absolute mess, that entire second leg. Um, but you've, it's the whole thing. If you've got half the job done, I'd like to think that... I mean, from an English point of view, you just want to see every team go as far as they can. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think that is the, the most positive thing because you do want to see English clubs well. And, yeah, can Pep Guardiola get the Champions League trophy with Manchester City? That is something that we are going to... I have a poll on the Instagram. I think that might be the best way to do that. Poll yeah, on Instagram. definitely. We'll, we'll put that yeah. up in the episode. We yeah, wrap definitely. Up? Are we happy we, to wrap up then? We will indeed. Happy so, Thursday. yeah, if you uh, just tell them the plugs yeah, again. I, it is the... Table Talk Podcast underscore on Instagram and on Twitter. We are they, the handle is Table Talk PO1 or just the Table Talk Podcast will probably pop up. We're trying to grow both social media, so please drop a follow. And every episode's available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we're probably there somewhere. So please leave a review as well if you're enjoying. And thanks yeah. for listening. And yeah, cheers, Nige. Cheers, Nige.